Hello, product innovators. Today we learn how to prepare to sell your hardware product business from a 30-year investment banker in the manufacturing industry. This is the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in hardware product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for hardware startups. Welcome back, everyone. I'm very excited to introduce Dan Shea to the show. Dan is the Managing Director of Objective Investment Banking and Valuation. He's been doing mergers and acquisition deals as an investment banker in the manufacturing sector for over 30 years. Today, Dan will share some valuable knowledge for inventors, startups, and small manufacturers on thinking about the value of your product and product business well before a sale, focusing on quality product and customer needs, and adding innovation to increase the valuation of your product for an eventual exit sale. Now, on to the episode. This show is produced by Mako Design, the original firm providing end-to-end consumer product development services tailored specifically to hardware startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Take your product from idea to store shelves at MakoDesign.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Dan. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Well, excited today to talk to you about building value for a potential exit for a hardware startup. How does a hardware startup even in the early days, and as they're developing the product, getting to market, and more importantly, as they're starting to scale the business, what do they start thinking about in terms of the value that they're providing to the world that a potential buyer of their actual product business might be looking for at the end of the tunnel? Before we get into all of that exciting stuff, just give us a bit of a history of how you got to be the success story that you are today. Yeah, thank you so much. So I've been an investment banker for over 30 years. And what that means for me is helping entrepreneurs sell their businesses. And these businesses can range in value from 10 million to over 300 million is kind of like the two end posts of my experience over 30 some years. Primarily work with manufacturers and oftentimes those manufacturers have a branded product a highly designed, engineered product, oftentimes a consumer product, like a lot of the folks you work with, Kevin. And also I work with engineering services companies that help companies design those products, very valuable piece of the puzzle there. And so I'm really excited to talk about with you how those folks can build value for the customer. And that translates into value for themselves as they scale their business and ultimately as they think to exit. You know, you've heard the saying, start with the end in mind. Not every entrepreneur starts with the idea that I'm going to build something that I'm going to sell. But over time and probably early on, that does enter their thinking. And so we like to help people start to really focus on how they can build value that's conveyable to a buyer at a high valuation. That's great. And this is a really powerful subject because a big trend that I'm noticing and talking with a lot of the big corporate folks as well is that. Big companies are investing less in R&D and more in the acquisition of the next hot thing, typically, that's coming to market from startups. They're looking to see, okay, what can we grab out there? Somebody who's seen the innovation that our R&D team didn't see, they've released something quickly, typically because they're nimble, they're fast, or they're just more creative, or a whole number of reasons that hardware entrepreneurs have an advantage over big corporate in many ways. And then leveraging their existing networks to, to make massive scale. So it's a good deal for both parties. And it's something that we see a lot of, especially like many of the customers at Maco, even as they're starting to get early traction, it's interesting to see those companies start knocking at the door earlier and earlier than ever before historically. So it's at a really good time now as we're looking forward to say, as a hardware startup, know that it's not just about cash flow. 
as you build cash flow, you're building equity and equity is translatable into value for a probably much larger entity that can really leverage the amazing product innovation group of products or whatever else that you've created, let alone additional value like brand IP, et cetera. So I love the fact that so much of this is happening in the industry. And that's why I really wanted to get you on to talk about this today, just even at a minimum to start planting the seeds into hardware entrepreneurs as to how they can truly build that value. And then obviously translate that into a bigger, better sale down the road. So let's start you know, early on in big picture here. Let's just look at what do you mean by building value in a hardware startup? So large companies, mid-sized companies, any company, they don't have a lock on all the insights. They really don't. And oftentimes the size is their enemy, frankly, because you know they have big organizations and it's hard to turn a big organization on a dime when a great idea comes up. So oftentimes in the corporate development departments, which are, are the, my counterparts in a transaction, they're the finance-oriented people that look for opportunities to buy, whether it's a product line or an actual company, they're constantly doing this calculation, make versus buy. Can we make it or should we buy it? And oftentimes they can't even make something that looks great in the marketplace because smart entrepreneurs have protected their technology. You can't even reverse engineer it because you violate patent or patent pending. It's a little easier if it's just know-how, but proprietary know-how is proprietary. So these large corporations knock on our door all the time and say, what have you got in this particular area of the economy? So I would say to you that in the majority of the businesses in this country are small companies. That's where all the innovation happens, despite the fact that large companies get all the press. So, you know, I would say to you that keep coming up with those great ideas, but be calculating about it. When you have a great idea, make sure as you develop it, make sure you're checking yourself and make sure that there's a large addressable market and make sure it's something customers want, need and value. Take a look at the competition, see who the competition is out there. And, and is your product truly an innovation? Kevin, you probably are familiar with the Blue Ocean strategy. Have you heard of that, Harvard? Yep. I had a client, and this is kind of jumping ahead, so forgive me, and we can always go back, but I saw this in many of my clients, and one in particular that worked so well. They consulted with folks like yourself, but they also had an in-house team and their whole job was to try and come up with innovations in a really mundane industry where the consumer might sit back and say, there's no innovation happening in this. It's a building products company, right? What else can you do with building products? They innovated every year and came up with these great products based on what the installers needed to build houses, build buildings and what have you. And they would come up with these great products, test it with the consumer, which was the worker at the construction site. And if it was a great idea that saved the worker time or money and the install of this particular family of products, they would finalize the product and they would put a ring fence patent around it. And they built their business on chunks of products. And because of that, they had a portfolio of highly engineered, highly designed products for the building products industry that buyers were salivating over. Buyers meaning not the customer, but buyers of the business were salivating over because this business was rock solid. It was built based on product design, protected product design, and it was based on a family of products. So the breadth of this company was, and the foundation of this company was rock solid. So something to think about, I know a lot of your listeners are earlier stage 
you know, but it starts with one product. But be mindful of the fact that that product probably can become part of a family of products and you build a family of products and you continue to innovate. Innovation doesn't stop once that that initial product is built. That's where it starts. And then you build on that. And I can assure you that when you do that properly, you're creating institutional value that's conveyable to a buyer when your great entrepreneurs decide that they need to take some chips off the table. That's powerful advice. And something that's really special in there that, was, that you, you mentioned is the fact that this company was innovating based on their customer feedback. And that's something that as a hardware startup, if you're looking to build this portfolio of products or evolve your product or have multiple lines of a similar one or accessories or whatever it might be, it's called some related family suite of products. First of all, as an inventor and an innovator, you've already come up with the first idea. So the probability that you're going to continue to come up with ideas only accelerates. As you get more customers and more feedback and more stakeholders and engagement, whether it's investors or designers or whatever else, the ideas are going to become more frequent and the value of those ideas are going to become more and more known to you as you evolve the business. So you can start as a hardware startup. The second thing I find, which is amazing, which ties to the first that you mentioned is you can start with the first product. And then over time, you're going to evolve that into either a family product or additional markets or whatever else, but you can grow from your customers and from better information as you scale up, as you get more money to scale up, whether it's on revenue and investors or whatever else. And as you're doing that, you're creating a tremendous amount of equity. In fact, you use the word kind of like institutional interest. This is where you've got the bigger, more serious buyers looking at these new hardware innovations to see what makes sense for either their clients or if they're a company themselves for their own portfolio of product to see how they can leverage it. Yeah. So fast forward to the time when you're thinking of selling. Buyers will look at the business and say, let's take a look at the history and what the company has done. That is some evidence of what it's capable of doing. But make no mistake, a buyer doesn't buy a business based on what it's done in the past. They buy it based on what they can do with it post-close. So when you're building your organization, think about building a culture of innovation. It's not just one product or a family of products. Like we say, is there a team of people that are thinking about innovating? Are they consulting with firms like yours, Kevin? in such a way that they're partnering to constantly think about ways to innovate in ways that the customer will appreciate and pay for, and pay for at a price that allows you to be profitable. Profitable, and and I would submit to you, if you're constantly thinking about the blue ocean strategy, you're innovating in the blue ocean, not the red ocean, where there's a lot of competition. It's the blue ocean that's ahead of everybody, and you can charge more for that product, charge relative to your cost. And in in those cases, you build a business that is not only durable in terms of innovation in products, but margin. You know, many industries have typical or average margin. So buyers look at that. They look at the margin of your business and compare it to the industry and say, these people are either doing something special or they're not doing something special enough based on where you sit within your field of focus. So there's a lot to it. But the good news is nothing happens overnight. You know, you've probably heard the saying, overnight success, 10 years in the making. So <laughs> you entrepreneurs out there, you're going to make a billion decisions between startup to when you exit. Just have these broad themes in mind, these themes of innovation, constant innovation, building a culture around innovation, looking to what the customer really wants. And as I was preparing to speak with you today, Kevin, I was thinking about 
what buyers get excited about, buyers of businesses, and they get excited about the people who work there. They get excited about the customer list. That's why some websites, ours does, yours does, have your customers on there. Buyers get excited about who you're able to serve. They get excited about your geography, your brand, your name, all these things. But I would submit to you that perhaps the most important thing is your products, because those are really tangible. You can convey those to a buyer. They now own your products. They own your designs. They own the markets you serve. And what can they do with those to go forward? So think about leaving some ups for the buyer by building a foundation of growth through product innovation. And as a hardware startup, that's something inevitably you're going to do because you're limited on budget, time, scope, history, et cetera. There's a lot of things that even if you do a really good job of a product launch, you're only capturing a certain piece of the market. So a company that's been in the space for 20, 50, 100 years is going to look at that and say, wow, look at what you've achieved as a startup in a short, relatively short period of time. Even if it's a few years, it's still small in the grand scheme of big corporations, especially. So look at what you've done there. Imagine if you had the scale and breadth of a large corporate buyer behind executing on increasing iterations and versions of that, which I guess is why it's so important. You mentioned looking at the company's history and seeing, okay, you went to market, then what did you do? How did you improve your product? How did you listen to your customer? How did you come up with an accessory or the next version of the product? They're looking for the way that the company actually operates. And of course, a great product at the end of the day. So if you have an amazing product, but you're also a firm that's continuing to innovate, that gets a buyer really excited. Like you're adding compounding value on top of the product itself. But of course, the product is the foundation of most hardware product businesses. It's interesting. Maybe the term to be used is institutionalized innovation. If you can institutionalize that in your organization, and most people have more than one employee, and you've got a small team when you're starting out, the other thing that I've seen in my client base when I speak to them, you know, granted it's at the tail end of it, but you know, I've spoken with my clients and say, how did you start 30 some years ago? And they figured out a way to get the word out about their product through very modest means, but effective means. There's trade shows out there. There's the old cold calling and just getting in front of decision makers with your product innovation. And that's the way you start. But I think that you know, in this day and age to actually get the reach you want, it costs money. So I think uh, I remember back to MBA school, actually BBA school, when the professor said, you can go broke by growing. I'm like, what do you mean? You're growing. Well, you know, it costs money to kind of get the word out there through marketing and building prototypes and all of that stuff. So I think that that should be a part of the puzzle too. How do you finance your innovation? So that could be a topic for another day. But I really think that that's an important element because there are many great ideas out there. You just want to make sure the market knows about. Absolutely. Getting to market is key. And you know, the nice thing about today is that you have a global market. So especially if you have a hyper-specific niche product, it's really never been easier than now to get a very, very specific product out to that market. And if you've done a really good job with the product, as you said, build a great product, then word will spread easier. And you look for those modest methods forward to spread. So how can you stretch the marketing dollar further to allow your customers to start being brand advocates for you and get your product to more eyeballs that is very specific to a certain pain point or opportunity you've created with product? Most little companies are global companies in the hardware product space. Yep, absolutely. The need is not germane to just one geography. It's a big world out there. The last company I sold was last month, and they had operations in Hong Kong, the Netherlands, and the U.S., 
and they sold their products globally. They're the engineered component company in the flow meter space. And it's a big market out there and, and you might as well attack it. Well, that's the blue ocean, right? So uh, get out there, go to that blue ocean, which is the relatively untapped market because you're creating an innovation. Thus, you're somewhat creating an industry or vertical. Even if it's an existing market, you have a new version or a new solution to that market. And therefore, that is the blue ocean theory, right? And continuing to innovate is a big part of that theory. So don't just plant your stake in the ground, plant the stake in the ground and grow. Do something great with it. Dan, before I let you go, I just want to talk a bit about what you do for helping these companies as they get to that size. How do you help them actually go through that exit process if they've made the decision at least to start looking into the potential of selling the equity that they have built over these years? Boy, it's a very involved process. And you know, rare is the case that we're introduced to a company when they're, all the ducks are lined up and it's time to just hit go and start a sale process. So we find ourselves investing a lot of time, sharing a lot of time, helping businesses think about the things we're talking about today. Maybe they're further on, but some of the issues are very evident. In diversification of customer list, diversification of product. If you have a product that's about to launch, does it make sense to wait until it gets traction so you can get paid for that product? Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And then there's stuff unrelated to products. It's really more, do you have your corporate books and records in order? Do you have your accounting? Do you have your legal structure all uh, sewn up? Do you have your people in the right seats on the bus? A lot of that stuff. So that happens before the transaction. And we just consult people on that. We don't ask for any money. We just try to help them get ready. When it's time to actually sell, we make a market for the business. That's our job. And this is a very specialized process because it's done in a confidential and quick manner. It's not like selling your shares in Apple or you know Microsoft. You can't call up your broker and sell them. You have to make a market. So we work to prepare offering materials that describe the business in enough specificity that a buyer can start to assign a price to it without even visiting the facility or talking to the owners. We spend a lot of time working to identify who we think the likely buyers will be on a global basis. Like we talked a few minutes ago, most businesses, even little businesses, have some global element to them. And oftentimes that translates into buyers that might be overseas that would be interested in a U.S. business or vice versa. So we spend a lot of time doing that. And then once we're ready to go, you've got your offering materials together. You've got your buyers list together. We reach out to those buyers in a confidential way, get them to sign NDAs, share the materials, and then create an auction environment. And that is a really tricky thing because you think about it, all your listeners are thinking, boy, my business is complicated. We might get an offer, but they're not going to close until they understand our business in its entirety. Well, very true. It's called due diligence. So we facilitate that due diligence, educating a group of buyers to the point where they get to the end where they're like, yeah, we know enough that you can rely on our purchase price and here it is. And then we help our buyer, our client pick the buyer that not only presents the best economics, but other things that are important to entrepreneurs. Fit, legacy, what's going to happen with the people? Do I, as the entrepreneur, stay on or do I leave? Can I keep some money in the business to enjoy the proverbial second bite at the apple when some big private equity firm buys it and you know they're going to triple the value of the equity in a short period of time? Why wouldn't I want to participate in that? I can help in that as the selling entrepreneur. 
So we create this confidential market and it takes six, seven months to, to fully execute from start to cash in the bank. Um, and we work with, um, you know, the other advisors to the company, the accountants, the lawyers, the insurance providers, and all manner of consultant that may be necessary at, around a transaction. And what's the name and the website of that, just for the listeners? Oh, so boy, my partners are going to be mad at me. I haven't even mentioned that. Our firm is Objective Capital Partners. Uh, we're based in California. And our website is Objective IBV, Investment Banking and Valuation, IBV.com, ObjectiveIBV.com. And we've been in business for 17 years. And almost all that we do is sell companies for entrepreneurs like your listeners or like they're going to be as they develop their business to the point where it's time to think about, if not just a financial exit, an entire exit. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, go for it. Come faster than your entrepreneurs think. The average age of our client is shifting younger and younger. It's really surprising to me. But, you know, they can build incredible value early on and, and then they become serial entrepreneurs. They do a deal and then they build another business and then another. And, and so it's an exciting time to be in the entrepreneurial orbit here in the United States. Yeah, definitely an exciting time. Dan, thanks again for your words of wisdom. And as always, I'll put the links uh, below so anyone wants to click through, they can click on the web links there. Dan, appreciate you being on the show. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and hit the like button and subscribe. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Mako, North America's leading expert on product development for hardware startups. And the podcast is produced by Mako Design, the original firm providing end-to-end consumer product development services tailored specifically to hardware startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Take your product from idea to store shelves at makodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com. Thanks for joining and see you again soon.